Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. My name is Josh and uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, as Pastor Dave mentioned, just want to invite you again tomorrow morning, uh, Great Lakes District Conference. You can watch it online. Uh, you can register gld-efca.org. And, uh, or you can even, uh, we'll probably send a link out in the morning too, or you can even watch it later. It'll be archived online. And uh, there's a section in that first 45 minutes or so, just stories from a handful of people here in our church. So I encourage you to be a part of that and just kind of get a sense of uh, our tribe, so to speak, kind of who we're associated with. So it's a great opportunity for you to do that. Uh, churches in Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio um, and I think there's one and a little tip in Kentucky down there somewhere. That's part of our, our district. Hey, have you ever read uh, The Fellowship of the Ring or watched the movies? Anybody ever seen those? You know what I'm talking about? J.R. Tolkien and you've got uh, Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers and the Return of the King and The Hobbit. And um, am I nerding out on anybody? Anybody else? Like, yeah, all right. Some of you are like, I don't, I don't care. Those people have weird names and I'm not going to read it. Well, in that book, I want to tell you about it, even if you don't know or care. In The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, Tolkien, the author, describes this mysterious and magical ring. And uh, it has strange powers to the point that everybody who touches it or is near it, they want to possess it. They want to have it for themselves. But what they find out is that the more that they try to possess it, the more it possesses them. You know, one such person is a little hobbit named Frodo. And uh, in an early scene in the book, uh, Gandalf, who's a wizard, shows up at Frodo's house and uh, they're talking about this ring uh, that he has. And the more, they're talking about the fact that the more the ring is used, the more it enslaves its user. And so now let me just read to you from an early scene in the book. It says, if you had warned me, said Frodo, or even sent me a message, I would have done away with it, with the ring. Would you? Try, said Gandalf. Try now. Frodo drew the ring out of his pocket and he looked at it and he had intended to fling it from himself into the very hottest part of the fire. but he found that he couldn't do so, not without great struggle. He weighed the ring in his hand, hesitating and forcing himself to remember all that Gandalf had told him. And then with an effort of will, he made a movement as if to cast it away. But he found that he had actually just put it back in his pocket. Gandalf laughed grimly. You see, (laughs) already you cannot easily let it go. nor will to damage it. And I could not make you, he said, except by force. Well, uh, Tolkien uh, was a Catholic. Uh, He uh, followed Jesus, and he's he's writing really, in in many ways, an allegory for the Christian life in in what he's writing. And the ring in, in Tolkien's story is a lot like our own passions and our own desires that they can exercise all kinds of influence over us. Because the tempter, Satan entices us to use good things, things we look at and and that really in and of themselves, there's nothing bad about their good, but we tend to use them in ways God never intended. 
And the more we do so, the more they tighten our, their grip on us, making us slaves to them and to their every whim. Uh, I mean, think about it. Companies are, there's never a lack of commercials on TV about weight loss, is there? I mean, food is a good thing. You got to have it to survive. Yet what happens when that good thing becomes an ultimate thing and our, we get gripped by food sometimes, some people do, and struggle with it and become obese and they can't stop. And Then there's, uh, there's other passions, though. Uh, people become addicted to prescription pain meds that are meant to help them. But taken to an excess, they actually destroy them. Uh, you could go, the list could go on and on. Addicted to work, sports, television, exercise, sex, uh, all kinds of other activities that aren't bad in and of themselves or done in moderation or according to God's design, but, but when used for our own ends and for our own pleasure, they end up just gripping us, if not used the way God intended. And none of us are tempted in the same way. Maybe there's some things I didn't list that, that you struggle with and in every case, though, Scripture's clear warning to us is that if we don't learn to master our passions and to master our sin, then our sin will master us. And we become a slave to it, like Frodo did to the ring. So this morning, we're going to be talking about self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We've been memorizing that verse we all read a little bit ago, and maybe you can quote it from memory this time. The fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Good job. Against such things there's no law, nor is there any law that can make anyone do all of these things. It's only by the Spirit. And self-control is kind of a summary fruit of all these fruits. To where when you're growing in those other ones, you grow in self-control. And uh, we're going to talk about that today because uh, that's a... That's something you may not think it is what it is when you think of self-control. So let me pray, and then uh, we're going to dive into this together. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks, Jesus, that uh, you save us, you make us new, and that you, uh, by the power of your Spirit, you grow your fruit in our lives to make us like you. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you teach me, even as I teach, help us all to grow in each of these areas of life and, and ripen those fruits within us. But especially today, draw our attention toward uh, self-control and, and yielding control, Holy Spirit, ultimately to you. Father, thanks for Jesus. We pray all of this through him. Amen. Well, first thing I want you to think and, and to understand and to know is to think about, I should say, is self-control. First off, when you think self-control, what do you think of? You kind of think of just like having control over everything. At least I do, right? Maybe I'm projecting my, my thought process onto you. But you kind of think of all the, the, the task list and the task upon task upon task and like just having everything under control and making sure that when anybody ever sees my life or sees what, like everything is just in control. Like I've, I've, I've got it together, right? You think that a little bit about self-control? The problem is the fruit of self-control is not self-management. It's not self-management. Now let's see if we can unpack that a little bit. 
Self-control is not self-management. Self-control, if we were to look at this in Greek where Paul originally wrote it, I'll give you some more Greek words today. The words there are in kratos. En means in. Sounds just like in in English. That makes sense. Kratos can mean strength, dominion, power, might. A person with en kratos is a person who has power, dominion, strength in themselves, within that's the, that, that's enkratos, self-control. That word kratos, it's been, it's been kind of translated over into our English language to some degree. Uh, democratic, uh, people having power. Uh, theocratic, God exercising power and rule. Autocratic, uh, self-power, rule. Uh, that's the idea, self-control. But I don't know about you, when I hear that, I, even, I don't know if that's very helpful to me, Josh, because I don't have the power to do that and to control myself. Like, I struggle in a big way with some of these things. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's a certain sense where I can. I can. I can dig down deep and I can muster up some strength and I can have some gumption. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, some of those things... That, that, there's some noble qualities about that, right? Of having, having willpower, of having strength, of, of having kind of that, that gumption within. But ultimately, it's a, it's a pretty shallow well. I mean, you, you can go so far, but at the end of the day, especially as it relates to, to living out character traits of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, you can only make it so far before you just go, I can't do this. There's not that strength within me. And Kratos, come on. Strength within? If you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. Paul actually found that to be true. And, and the Apostle Paul, I mean, he wrote a, a large chunk of the New Testament in his letters to churches that he had planted. And sometimes I read Paul and I go, oh man, that is powerful and uh, that's convicting and I don't know how I can ever do it. And then how did he ever do it? Uh, and then other times I read Paul and I go, he couldn't even do it. That's what we're going to see this morning that he even struggled. Makes me feel a little better about life. Well, let's read. Let's read from Romans chapter seven. Here's what, here's what Paul writes in verse 15. He says, maybe you'll resonate with this. For I do not understand my own actions. You ever felt that way about yourself? Like, I don't even understand why I'm saying the things I said. Like, I don't know why I did that last week. I don't know why I burst out in anger in this way. I don't know why I keep going back to that well. I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't understand my own actions because uh, I don't do what I want. But the, I do the very thing I hate. Now, Paul's writing as a follower of Jesus, right? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, deep down in you, there's this sense where uh, this is one way you can, you can understand even to a degree that you are truly following Jesus, that you want to do what's right and what's pleasing to him. Like the Holy Spirit changes your heart so that you, you want, you deep down, you want and you desire to do those things. But you find out that the more you try to do them, man, every time I try, I, oh, I just don't do it. I do what I don't want to do. I burst out in ways I don't want to. And you realize you're still, anybody else resonate with that? Yeah. Well, Paul goes on and he says, now if I, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. 
because the law reveals sin. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Nothing good dwells in me in his flesh, in his humanity, in his his just natural self left on its own. He says, for I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. He's like, I I can't do it. (laughs) I really want to, but I just, I don't have the ability to do it in me. Like no matter how much I might dig down and and just kind of gut it out, I, I, I can't always do it right. I always end up falling short for... I I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I don't want is what I keep on doing, he says. And he goes on, he says, now if I do what I do not want, you kind of got to have, I kind of got to take like a flow chart to follow Paul in this, right? There's a lot of, it can be helpful. You may do that this week. If I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And what, what Paul's talking about here is the struggle of, of a Christian that when you trust Jesus, he makes you new. Like he makes you totally new. You're brand new. But you still sin and you still will until he returns and makes you fully new, right? And he's like, uh, so I find out then when I don't do what I want, it's, it's no longer me doing it, but it's actually sin that still is dwelling within me. There's this, there's this war within me, he goes on to say, between my flesh and the spirit. This won't be on the screen, but here's what he says. So that's why faith, excuse me, I'm in the, the wrong chapter here, chapter seven. Uh, he says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin who dwells in my members. He says in verse 24, wretched man that I am. Some translations say, what a failure I am. I never, I never get it. He says, he ends that verse, verse 24 saying, who, who will deliver me from this body of death? Where in the world am I going to get strength within, self-control, power over these things to put my sin to death? And then then he says in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where. It's in Jesus. You know, Paul, in a lot of ways, what he's saying here is that he he feels really out of control in areas of his life. Isn't that kind of sound like that? And, And to some degree, that's true. But he also tells Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy 1, he says, uh, for God gave us, though, a spirit not of fear or even of inability, but of power and of love and self-control. There's that, that power piece again. But the question, I mean, it's got to be crossing your mind or you got to think about it. If not, where does that power come from? If, if self-control in Kratos is power and strength, dominion within, like where does that come from? Because left on my own, I don't have that. Paul didn't have that. So where does it come from? Because uh, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, the wisest guy second to Jesus ever to live, said a man without self-control, he's like a city that's broken into and left without walls. In those days you'd build walls around your city to fortify it and 
Uh, the idea to keep it safe, to keep it beautiful, to make it peaceful, and yet uh, without a man with, or a woman without self-control is like you just tear those walls down and now all of a sudden the enemy can come in and take you captive at any moment. A city without walls is a person with no self-control. Maybe you've heard this saying before, if you're not uh, killing your sin, then your sin will be killing you. You ever heard that? If, if you're not putting sin to death, it's going to be putting you to death. It's one or the other. They're opposite directions. And after you become a Christian, the idea is that, that you begin to, to kill those things, to put it to death. But you're like, how do I do that, Josh? I don't. Well, you can't do that on your own. Religion would tell you you could do it on your own. That if you do enough good things, here's religion. Do this, do that. Then circle back and do this, 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 and this. And then there's another list over here. Make sure you do this, do this, do this, do this. And then maybe if you did all those things good enough, in the right way, in the right order, then you might have peace. But you can't know for sure, but you might. Maybe God will love you then if you finally do that. Like, like that's religion. That's, that's legalism. That's that's. That's really kind of everything in life, isn't it? Uh, maybe if I get enough likes from that Instagram post, or if I have uh, this toy, or if I can do this thing with my life, then I'll be happy. Then uh, fill in the blank. That's religion. And you can never do enough, including doing all these things to put all of your sin to death. You can't do that on your own. The gospel is the entire flip of that. What happens is not that you're achieving an identity, but that Jesus Christ, when, when you trust him, he makes you new. He declares you new. That's justification. He declares you righteous. He makes you new. And now, because you're new, go live like it. And slowly, over time, just like fruit grows slowly, you begin living out who you are by the power of the Spirit. You see the difference? We have to think of self-control and understand that self-control isn't the opposite of the gospel. Self-control isn't me like getting it all together so that God loves me. Self-control is living like who I am because the spirit enables that within me. It's not self-management. It's actually something entirely different. It's living according to the spirit. Paul said in Romans 8, he had said it earlier in Galatians before he lists the fruit of the Spirit to walk by the Spirit's power. But he also says in Romans 8, uh, if, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. You try to do it on your own all the time. You're never going to make it. It's never enough. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You put to death your sin. Well, how do I do that? Well, Jesus tells us something. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Let me ask you, what was the point of the cross? It was to kill sin. It was to kill sin. To be done with it. To, to put it away. So in denying myself and taking my cross, I'm killing sin. So really, self-control isn't self-management. Self-control is denying power to my old self. Can I dive into a little bit of theology with you quickly? When you become a Christian, you're made new. You're brand new. But you're going to find out, even after you become a Christian, that you still sin. You still struggle. 
and you're growing more and more to be like Jesus, but like there's this overlap happening to where I'm already new, but I'm not yet totally new. And so until Jesus comes back again, then I'll be totally new. But in the meantime, there's like this war. That's what Paul was talking about. That's like raging within me between uh, who God says I am and and who my old self is. And self-control isn't you trying harder. It's, It's denying power to that old self and it's yielding control to your new self. It's denying power to the old self because what happens when you trust Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, you are brand new. You're a new creation. Like like Jesus, he he makes you new, new person, and then tells you to go live like it. The old is gone, the new has come. And self-control is dying to your old self, to your old way of living. In fact, Paul tells us in in Romans 6, he says, consider yourselves to be dead as far as sin is concerned and alive to Christ, Romans 6, 11. Consider yourselves dead. You are, you're you're dead. Part of the way to put away your old self is to remember when you're tempted in those things, just just think this to yourself. You know what? Uh, When that temptation comes, we kind of listed a handful of them earlier, right? At the beginning in the intro of the message, just, just think to yourself, you know what? No. That's not who I am now. I'm, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that because that's true. And even though you won't feel like it in the moment, it's still true. And truth isn't based on feelings. And you can say, I'm, I'm dead to that. I don't have to live like that. Holy Spirit, help me to deny power to my old self and my old way of living, my old attitude. And when you do sin, be quick to do what? Repent, turn around, go back. See, off with the old, in with the new. Paul likens it to a change of clothes. It's a change of clothes you need because you're new. Dress like it. Live like it. That's who you are. He says to the church in Ephesus, put off your old self. That belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt with deceitful desires. And there's not a man or woman in this room that you wouldn't say, you know what? Yeah, I follow Jesus now, but there's still some of those Old things, that old desire, like there's things that still tempt me that I still str- struggle with that are alluring to me. And listen, friend, you're, you're dead to that. You're dead to that way of thinking, to that way of acting, that way of living. As Paul told the church in Galatia earlier before the churches in Galatia, I should say earlier before the fruit of the spirit, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Remember the cross kills sin. Kills your old self. I've been crucified with Christ. It's, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And, and he goes and he says, and uh, the, the Son of God helps me to live. The, the, the way I live now in the flesh is not my own power, it's the power of Christ in me. I'm denying power to my old self. Well, denying self, uh, it's a fruit that the Holy Spirit grows in you. But it's also, it's a muscle that you exercise too, though. You might liken it, uh, my nephew is um, like the biggest Lakers fan in the world. He's pretty fired up. They live in Minnesota. They got to watch the Lakers game. He got to stay up late Friday night. and or Saturday, Was it Saturday night, Friday night? Yes, Friday night, and watch him lose. So he's pretty bummed. But we got this video from my brother, and he's got, I don't know, more, more Lakers jerseys than any kid should have. He's taking one off after another, and 
He was so fired up with his hat and his blanket. And I mean, LeBron James, right? Think about LeBron James. LeBron James has been gifted and given incredible talent from God. But just because he has that power given to him and within him, he doesn't just show up and play the game. If you would read about him or study his life a little bit, the discipline to train himself and to work hard and to develop that, that skill within him, that's what enables him to, to go out and take over a game. Well, in the same way, the Holy Spirit, when you trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. He, he gives you uh, not a spirit of fear, not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, of self-control. He's given it to you. But there's also a certain sense where in which you got to exercise that muscle. You got to stir up the spirit within you, Paul says, right? So that you can live under his control, walking according to the spirit. Paul uses this metaphor in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So you should run that you might obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, a, a, like a crown around their head, perishable wreath. Uh, but we do it to receive one that's imperishable, that lasts forever. So I don't run aimlessly, he says. I don't, and I, I, don't, I don't box like somebody who's just punching the air, like Rocky on the top of the steps. So no, I, I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Self-control is, a, is something the Holy Spirit ultimately grows in you, but uh, it's a fruit. But there's, there's a partnership with you in that, in living in partnership with him. It's similar to the fact if, if you garden, you might till the soil, you might fill it with fertilizer and the dirt and, and till it all up and water it and pull the weeds. And, but are you the one that makes the carrots grow or that makes the watermelon spread out across the ground? Are you the one that does that? No, but you, you got to part in it, don't you? But ultimately that growth comes from God. Ultimately the, spirit, the, the fruit of, of self-control and any of those fruit of the spirit come through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. But there are some things you need to do. You need to put sin to death. You need to pull the weeds. You need to remember, I'm dead to that. Denying power to your old self. And that's really easy for any one of us to get up here on stage and, and preach. To, to do it requires some hard work and, and leaning on the Holy Spirit. Actually, it, it requires abiding in Christ and staying close to him. Because when you stay close to him, he makes you like him. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, his old self, and take up his cross. That's what will kill it, and follow me. Follow me. Paul tells Timothy, in the end days, uh, people will be without self-control. 2 Timothy 3. Uh, they'll be increasing in self-indulgence, no restraint, not self-control, but, but selfishness, self-indulgence, and always yielding uh, to their old self always yielding to that power. But self-control isn't self-management. It's denying power to the old self and yielding control to the new self. Because friends, you are new. Ancient philosophers would have looked at self-control as like this virtue of somebody who's just 
man, they just have control over uh, their, uh, their moral faculties, in a sense, you might say. And, and they can just, they can deny uh, evil pleasures at every turn. And what a noble thing. And to a degree, it is. But the, the Bible would say, no, it's actually beyond that to where the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the power to do that. Not just managing those passions, but actually being able uh, to not yield any power to them and to put them to death because of the work of Jesus on the cross. So at the end of the day, you might think of self-control not as you controlling yourself, but as yielding the self to the control of the Spirit. Letting him be in control. Putting on Christ. That's the way Paul talks about it, Romans 13. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night's far gone, the day's at hand. He's talking about that, that kind of overlap in time. So then let us cast off the works of darkness, put it away, and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. He goes on, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual morality and sensuality, not quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put it away. Deny the old self its power. Friends, how do you do that? Well, you do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. For God gave you a spirit, not of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-control. By seeking Jesus' kingdom first, he'll add these things to you. So as we kind of wrap up here, self-control is not self-management. It's, it's denying power to the old self. It's yielding control to the new self. And so really the question of the day then for you, as it, as it relates to both self-control and really all the fruit of the Spirit, which self is going to be in control for you this week, this month? This afternoon, <laughs> which self? Will it be the old self with all its passions and desires and all the things you don't want to do? Or will you put those things to death, recognizing, no, I'm dead to that and I'm alive to Christ? And will the new self be given control in your life? Here's Paul's advice to us. I say walk in the Spirit then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to one another. They're going opposite directions. You can't do both. Which self is gonna be in control? Which one are you gonna yield to? But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Take a breath, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness. I got them out of order, but it doesn't matter. And self-control, Right? Against such things, there's no law. And friend, uh, if you've never trusted Jesus, uh, 
any effort to do these things, to kind of, we talked the very first week, like hanging fruit on the tree is, is just acts that you're making on your own to try to earn favor. It's religion. And the Bible is not about religion. The Bible is about relationship with Jesus Christ. And he makes you new as you trust him. He, he puts his spirit within you. And now that because you have this brand new identity, you're, Paul says you're in Christ. That's who you are. When God looks at you, he sees you as pure and perfect and spotless and clean. Now, because that's who you are, go live like it. But that only comes through faith in Jesus, not any act of, of your own. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks that, uh, Holy Spirit, you, uh, you do make us new as we trust Jesus. That uh, you, uh, your power in us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is able to empower us to deny our old selves. Holy Spirit, would you remind us this week as we face different temptation, as we uh, even sense those things creeping up, to, to remind us who we truly are that we're dead to those things and that we're alive to Jesus. Help us to live like it. Empower us to live like it. Ripen your fruit in us, especially that fruit of self-control as we yield ourselves to you. And friend, if you're, you're listening and you're like, ah, I don't know, Josh, I've, I've never really put my faith in Jesus. I mean, I've always gone to church. I've always gone through the motions. I've always thought that was enough. No, that's not. That's religion. Religion says, do this and God will love you. The gospel says, God, because God loves you, if you trust him, he makes you new and enables you to do those things. And you can grasp hold of salvation. You can grasp hold of that new life simply by believing, not by doing, but by believing and trusting. You can turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Save me. And he promises to Lord, thanks for Jesus. Thanks that uh, he is uh, our salvation and our hope. Pray all this in, in his name. Amen.